Hello and welcome to episode eight of the Lost Teams podcast. I am one of your hosts, Anthony Cirelli. With me again today is my fellow co-host, Andrew. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing well, Anthony. How you doing? Happy New Year. Happy New Year to, do, to you too. What did you, uh, how was your New Year? What did you guys do? I just sat around, had a few cocktails. That's about it. <laughs> you? Yeah. Uh, I fell asleep at like 10 and got Damn. my wife mad at me. So uh, <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, today we're going to uh, we're gonna cover a couple interesting teams. I'm going to cover an ABA team uh, that uh, maybe some of my Twitter following is going to be interested in, the Anaheim Amigos of the American nice. Basketball League. And Andrew, who are you covering today? I'm, call- I'm actually covering the Colorado Silver Bullets. Oh, interesting. I, Not Coors Light, but that Coors Light has to do with this team. So, <laughs> I did a little bit of um, I did a little bit of just exploring about them and uh, on Google and YouTube and stuff. It's interesting, so I'm excited. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, uh, I'll get started if you don't mind. We're, today, I'm sure. going to talk about, like I mentioned before, the Anaheim Amigos of the American Basketball League. My uh, sources were an article called Loose Ball, or actually a book called Loose Balls, The Short Wildlife of the American Basketball Association, um, an LA Times article uh, called Hey, A Little Shopping Helps a Guy Unwind from oh. 1997 by somebody named Shav Glick. Uh, Shav. I don't know if that's a fake, but it seemed like a joke uh, article, so who knows. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and then... A uh, uh, the remember the ABA website part about the Anaheim Amigos. So www.rememberTheaba.com. The Anaheim Amigos were an American Basketball League team or an American Basketball Association team. Excuse me. They played one season out of Anaheim, California. They were a charter member of the ABA and they existed from 19. Technically, they existed from 1967 to 1976, but they were only in Southern California until 1970 or maybe even less than that. They played one season in Anaheim and then they moved to Los Angeles, I think, for two seasons. So what's the charter membership mean? That means like a founding founding team. Oh, okay. They were one of the first teams. So Makes sense. Um, the Anaheim Amigos were named by a name the team contest, which you don't see a lot these days, which, but I, I mean, I like the name Amigo. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Toronto Raptors. That is reminiscent of the Toronto Raptors. Yep. So the first significant thing about the Amigos, they were the first team, to se- professional team to self-identify as being from Anaheim. So they obviously came before the Anaheim Mighty Ducks, who started in 1993 and became the Ducks eventually, but they're still in Anaheim. And then the California Angels were around probably, I don't know exactly, maybe before the Amigos existed. but I would think so. They've been around for a long time. Yeah, but they called themselves the California Angels until 1997 when they became the Anaheim Angels and then the California Angels, or then the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. So it's just a mess. (laughs) Right. Is that what they're called now? I don't even know. I, th- I think they're just the Los Angeles Angels, but they're uh, wow. apparently saying that you're from Anaheim was not a popular thing. And so the Anaheim Amigos calling themselves the Anaheim Amigos was a big deal. But a little bit about their owner as well. He was an interesting guy. They were owned by a Korean American from Maui, Hawaii named Art Kim, who had played some college basketball. And he, and I only found the words uh, involved. He was involved with the Washington Generals before he started owning other teams. So that was, that's, if you don't know who the Washington Generals are, this is the team that always loses to the Harlem Globetrotters whenever they play. (laughs) Uh, After the Generals, he started a team and owned a team in the American Basketball League called the Hawaii Chiefs. And they eventually moved to Long Beach. 
And then he had an interesting, so he, then he started the Anaheim Amigos in 1967. And he had a very, I, I guess you could call him a shrewd businessman. He had a very interesting strategy to make money. Mm-hmm. So the ABA teams, when they first started, shared gate receipts. So they shared, they basically, I think, split the tickets, the, the money they made from tickets. So it was Art Kim's idea that he wanted to play in every team or as many first games for teams as possible. So his team ended up playing a six game, 13 day road trip where he tried to play in as uh, he tried to get the amigos to play in as many teams, first games of the season as possible to try to make more money. Wow. (laughs) It's kind of funny. It's like, yeah, that's a tough road trip too. Yeah, it is. And, and, we spoke about when we talked about uh, the ABA before kind mm-hmm. of how it reminds us of, of semi-pro. Well, this is, this team's going to remind you a lot of semi-pro coming up. Nice. <laughs> they, uh, as a consequence of starting their first games on the road, they went 13 and 24 through their first, what is that? 37 games. So they fired their head coach, Al Brightman by promoting him. <laughs> they fired, oh. they, 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 removed him from head coach and turned him into the public relations director. Wow. So doesn't that remind no words for that? that just doesn't, doesn't that remind sense. you of semi-pro like they, when Jackie moon, when, uh, uh, what's his name? Um, Monix, uh, Woody Harrelson's character basically is like, Hey Jackie, you're not the coach anymore. You're going to be like the promotional director and I'll <laughs> be the coach. Like it's, that's basically you're fired, but Hey, you're fired, but hey, we got another job for you. Yeah, you're gonna get paid more. You won't take as much heat, but like <laughs> you sucked ex- as a coach, but we like you still. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's that's kind of interesting. That reminded me a lot of semi pro. But Art Kim also, uh, this is the kind of the greater significance in sports. So Art Kim was, I guess, responsible for initiating the three point shot being used in basketball. I, I think the ABA used it from the very start of their existence, but the NBA didn't adopt it till 1979. So Basically, Kim and I think the other owners of the in the ABL back when he owned the Hawaii and the Long Beach Long Beach, excuse me, Chiefs wanted instituted a three point shot, and they and Kim brought that over with him to the ABA. So the ABA had this three point shot when it started, Hmm. and like I said, the NBA didn't adopt it until 1979. But I mean, now it's a huge part of basketball. Oh yeah, (laughs) especially these days with NBA guys hitting threes left and right. Yeah, I mean, Steph Curry wouldn't be Steph Curry without the three-pointer. So No, absolutely not. Uh, it, definitely a huge impact on the game of basketball. Uh, it, it isn't exactly clear whether he initiated or approved it. It was basically a committee that, that came up with it when he was uh, owner of, the, uh, of an ABL team. So, but he was heavily involved. And, and being an owner of, uh, of the Amigos, I'm sure he, he was instrumental in bringing that to the ABA. Yeah. So moving on, the team had something that would not fly today. Because they were called the Amigos, they had a mascot dressed to resemble, and I'm just reading directly here, a Mexican bandit complete with pistol. And whenever the Amigos rallied, the bandit would shoot off blanks and the pistol. So it's jeez. Yeah, that would not fly today whatsoever. They had trouble drawing fans. The Anaheim Amigos played at the Anaheim Convention Center. And I looked up some pictures of the Anaheim Convention Center uh, during Amigos games. It kind of reminded me of what basketball games look like now with the pandemic. There was almost nobody in the stands. So rough going for sure from the get-go for the Anaheim Amigos. Uh, 
but they they had some players. They had some guys. I didn't find any players in their team history who had basically played in the ABA for the Amigos and then moved on to the NBA. Anybody who had played in the NBA was had played there before and then moved on to the ABA and kind of ended their career there. Sure. But they had some guys. They had a guy named Les Salvage, excuse me, Les Salvage, who attempted 461 three-pointers in a season in 78 games, which re- it was a lot. It sounds like a lot. Yeah. But actually, talking about how the NBA has changed, that would have ranked him 18th in the 2020 NBA. By comparison, James Harden tried 843 three-pointers in the 2019-20 season oh. with a 355 percentage. <laughs> uh, Selvage was 319, so not that far off. Not a great yeah. shooter, but not afraid to put up the three at all. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they he's had, the innovator of just throwing up threes yeah, for the current just, NBA. Just chucking it. Three of their final eight games were played in Hawaii, so I think Kim was trying to uh, maybe see if he could get some fans there yeah. as the game as the season wound down in, in Anaheim where they were not popular. My favorite quote – go ahead. It sounded like a similar situation to what we had with our, our first yeah. podcast episode with the, the Pittsburgh Pipers where they were just playing games all over the place at yeah. the end of the – for sure. And they, they uh, my favorite quote from the Amigos was, or about the Amigos from Remember the ABA was, the Amigos were not a good team and nobody in Orange County, let alone Southern California, noticed them. So really just a sad, uh, a sad case. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, but that, this isn't the end of their history. Surprisingly, there were some good days when they moved to Los Angeles. But when they were still in Anaheim, they had their best player was a gentleman named Ben Worley as a power forward and a small forward out of Tennessee State. He had had a five-year NBA career before joining the Amigos, and he averaged a little under 17.5 points per game, according to basketball reference. So pretty good. Yeah. And then a gentleman named John Fairchild played 30 games with the Lakers. He was a small forward, and he averaged almost 11 points per game with the Amigos. The most interesting guy, though, that I found, his name was Bob Sims. He was a shooting guard. Um, played one season for the Lakers and then the St. Louis Hawks, who I guess were the precursors of the Atlanta Hawks, averaged over seven points a game in the NBA, but left basketball, disappeared off the face of the earth for five seasons before joining the Amigos, played no basketball in that time. No kidding. I wonder what happened. I looked up, I wanted to figure out why. He was an L.A. native. He went to Jordan High School here in L.A., but he did not, I couldn't figure out where he went. Like, couldn't find any articles about him. Why? Why he went five years between playing yeah. basketball? So, who knows? That will remain a mystery. Right. Uh, like I said, playing for the Amigos is most definitely not a stepping stone to the NBA. Nobody that I could tell from their team ended up playing that year. Ended up going to the NBA later on. Once that season ended, they traded most of their good players. And uh, another parallel to the semi-pro movie, they were notoriously cheap. Part of the reason they traded their good players is because they didn't want to pay them anymore. And one of their players said, the Amigos were expected to furnish their own playing gear. We were issued one pair of socks, and when we reported, they were supposed to last the whole season. So that's just brutal. Just another case of terrible ownership, cheap ownership. Yeah, it reminds me of a little Jackie Moon running out of the stadium when they they couldn't... uh, when he, when they like surpassed certain amount of points and they had to give everyone corn dogs and he just like sprints out of the stadium. Great Obviously, movie. we love semi pro. It's why we yeah. keep referencing it. So they finished twenty five and fifty three in their first season, fifth place in their division. They averaged only thirteen hundred fans per game. After the first season, James Kirst, an LA construction 
magnet, I guess you'd call him. I've never heard of him. LA construction business owner, bought the Amigos from Art Kim and moved them to LA while also changing almost everything about them, including their name, where they played, basically everything except for two players from the Amigos roster. Basically an expansion team. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much an expansion team that played in our old, at the, uh, our old friend, the Los Angeles, uh, Los Angeles Sports Arena, where the Blades played and the oh, Lakers okay. played. So, did uh, we ever figure out where that was in the city? It, yeah, yeah. It's so the Sports Arena was where the LA FC or uh, they knocked it down and built uh, Bank of California Field, where the LA FC oh, played. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, it was right next to USC in the Coliseum, which is where Bank of California Stadium is right now. Sure. After they became the Los Angeles Stars for the 1968-69 season. Uh, they signed a big-name coach, our friend and former member of the Washington Capitals basketball team, Bill Sharman. He was the guy we talked about who uh, who played for USC, won a College World Series in baseball. So they definitely, uh, this guy, cursed, went out of his way to try to make them good. Yeah, they were trying to make some improvements from uh, the shit show so, in Anaheim. <laughs> yeah, just they tried to recover from the disaster that was the yeah. Anaheim Amigos. He was a tough coach. He worked his players hard in practice. And he was already successful. He had taken the San Francisco Warriors, who became the Golden State Warriors to the NBA Finals a year or two before that, but lost. And this will remind you of Semi-Pro. In their first game, they had two cheerleaders hold up a hoop in a spotlight that was covered with paper. And their new star player, Merv the Magician Jackson, burst through in a powder blue outfit, followed by the rest of his teammates. Nice. <laughs> Just, I'd love I'm to hearing- see that on YouTube. I'm hearing the song Love Me, Love Me Sexy playing in the background like while I'm explaining this whole team. <laughs> awesome. Um, they were more successful attendance-wise than the Amigos. They more than doubled their average attendance from 1,300 the season before to more than 3,500 that season, but doesn't mean they were uh, financially successful. Yeah. Uh, in their final season in Los Angeles, they actually were successful. Uh, they surprised everyone and made the playoffs by one game. They then upset the Dallas Chaparrales and the Denver Rockets to make the finals against the Indiana Pacers. Nice. So they lost the Indiana Pacers in six games, but that's not the worst thing that happened. What's a chaparral, by the way? I think it's a bush or a tree. Okay. A plant? Yeah, all right. got to figure that out. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, part of the reason that they were successful is because they signed former, another familiar name, Pittsburgh Pipers star Craig Raymond, who averaged 15 points per game that season and dominated the rebounds. Okay. So he was uh, – it's, it's interesting all this crossover, I guess, because we're talking mostly about 70s-era sports and yeah. 20s-era, so there's a lot of, a, a lot of crossover. But uh, One yeah, question for, I had for you. Um, yeah. Did we – we might have discussed it in previous episodes, but I'm kind of forgetting. Um, did we ever talk about like if the ABA, like the salaries were higher in the ABA or the NBA at that time, or were they about the same? I, I don't know. I that's a good question. We should check that out. Yeah, I think. I mean, it strikes me they'd be cheaper. Just guessing because the teams were already so cheap. <laughs> You're right. Um, but continuing on, so. Uh, Craig Raymond brought them some success, but I think it was success that they weren't expecting because ownership didn't book their home arena, the LA Sports Arena, for a few of the playoff games. So they had to be played at the Long Beach Sports Arena or back in Anaheim, including a couple games in the finals. So that's just a clown show right there. Yeah, sounds ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, they struggled in attendance and their owner lost too much money. So he eventually sold them to Salt Lake, uh, sold them to another owner, and they moved to Salt Lake for the 1970 71 season. 
they did not become the Jazz. Uh, the Jazz of the NBA were spawned from a different uh, a different team. So um, the I believe it was the New Orleans Jazz before it yeah, became yeah. the Utah Jazz. So that team disappeared eventually. But yeah, that's the story of the Anaheim Amigos. Quite a story, uh, as we've talked about many times before. Um, these franchises in the '70s just seem to not learn from other owners and teams' mistakes. They just kept going. <laughs> And it was yeah. obviously all about money. I mean, it still is all about money, but it's funny. I just thought the like the mascot, like the ridiculously racist mascot, was pretty typical of of crappy nineteen seventies sports teams. Yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna have to look up that logo. <laughs> but yeah, let's hear about let's hear about the uh, the Colorado Silver Bullets. I think this is gonna be really interesting. Yeah, it's t- extremely interesting. And like I I knew about the Colorado Silver Bullets as a kid, but you know I didn't really know the the background of the the team um so just to get into it a little bit about the the silver bullets um they were actually the first women's professional baseball team in 50 years and they started playing on mother's day in 1994 there was a, actually um a, a women's league that existed around the time of world war ii it was the all-american girls professional baseball league and it disbanded in uh 1954 so um pretty cool that the silver bullets uh, came into existence 50 years later that was the league from a league of their own right have you ever seen that movie yeah i think it is yeah and I, i'll get into that movie um a little bit later um <laughs> one thing that's just terrible but um with when the league disbanded in 1954 women were officially banned for playing professional baseball at that time Ugh, that's just frustrating. Yeah. I mean, it just that, and that was after Jackie Robinson. So I mean, yeah, the, uh, the color yeah. barrier had been broken, but not the gender barrier. Yeah, so nothing really happened on that front for fifty years, which is just crazy. But, anyways, um, the how the Silver Bullets actually even started? Um, it started with an idea with you know someone who had a dream um, his name was Robert Hope of starting a women's league um, he was the Atlanta Braves uh, public relations manager and he believed that women had a right to play professional baseball if they desired um, so he wanted to get something going again he was really excited about it um, you know also during that time I think it was in 1992 as you mentioned a league of their own uh, the professional baseball women's league um, movie that it was based on um was hugely popular and i think that helped influence you know people in the general public accepting women's getting back women playing uh, professional baseball again um and if anyone any of you don't know about the league of their own as i said it was extremely popular movie back in i think it was 92 93 and it starred Tom Hanks, Madonna, Gina Davis, and Rosie o- O'Donnell, to name a few. So many good one-liners from that movie. Tom Hanks is so good in that. Oh yeah, I remember as a kid watching that movie several times. It was really yeah. good. I haven't obviously I haven't seen it in years, but yeah, it was a great movie. That movie and Robert Hope's idea of bringing women's professional baseball back, the Colorado Silver Bullets were born. Uh, the team was sponsored by the Coors Brewing Company, so you know that's where they get the name. You know uh, they were at, they're out of Golden, Colorado, which would explain you know 
the name Coors Light, the Silver Bullet, and Tap the Rockies, et cetera. Believe it or not, they had no other connection to the state of Colorado. That was it? Did they, play, they didn't play in Colorado very often? I mean, they besides played playing from, Golden? From, no, no. From the information I found, they played one game at Coors Field, and that's it. Wow. Yeah, in Denver, so where the Rockies play. For those who don't know that. Um, but anyways, Coors put $3 million into the team. Um, they seemed really excited about getting getting this rolling. And uh, Robert Hope actually began to put together his staff, and he hired um, baseball Hall of Fame pitcher Phil Necro, <laughs> who unfortunately died about a week ago um, at, at the age of 81. He was famous for his knuckleball, and he played 24 years in the big, league most, big leagues, mostly with the Atlanta Braves. I totally missed that he died. Wow. Yeah, I think it, the t- December 27th, December 28th round. So, like, just yeah, just not even a week ago. That's so, crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, he was the manager. Um, they also hired um, a general manager by the name of Shireen Sammons. As, and Sammons would take on the GM role and, and was the only GM in AA baseball. And that year before she joined the um, Silver Bullets, she was named Rawlings Baseball Executive of the Year. Wow. I mean, this, yeah. team had a, this team was pretty stacked in terms of coaching and managing and general managing and everything. And even, I mean, $3 million is a pretty huge investment. <laughs> right, team. right. And, you know, everyone, there was a lot of excitement about this team, uh, you know, starting and seeing where they can go, you know? Yeah. Um, so that this, there's more to that. The Bullets advisory board included Hank Aaron, uh, Billy Jean King, um, famous tennis player, uh, Joe Morgan, famous uh, Cincinnati Reds. He was on yep. Sunday night. On the big red ESPN machine. ESPN Sunday night baseball. He passed away too this year, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, legend. Uh, so the, And they had a couple others um, that aren't as well known, but, it, you know, pretty <laughs> impressive group to, you know, get advice from, from your yeah. board. I mean, it sounds like this, it really sounds like this team came, was before its time, like ahead of its time. It really, right. just, just from the first couple of, of factoids. Right. Necro and Salmons were tasked with putting a team on the field. So now all that stuff's behind us. Let's, let's put a team together. <laughs> uh, for, uh, for the players that tried out, most of the girls had only had a softball background. Um, this was an invitation-only tryout where nearly 3,000 players were invited. Most were All-American softball players at their colleges, um, and in the end, 24 players were picked for the starting roster. Did they play? They they must have played on a full-size baseball field because it was it was baseball, not softball. Oh yeah, yeah, they played. It was hardball. Yeah, I mean it, that's that's cool. Yeah, they. I'll get more into that in a bit here. Uh, these players that made the team were paid 20000 a year, which doesn't seem like a lot of money at, really for professional sports. But as you mentioned in a previous episode, minor league baseball players do not make a lot of money. Yeah, and I wonder how much – keep going. I'm going to look up how much $20,000 was in 1993. Yeah, the Silver Bullets uh, played in their first season 60 games – well, actually, yeah, 60 games – uh, against men, amateur teams, college, Olympic semi 
sem- Olympic, semi-pro, and military teams. Um, they decided to do that because their first game was against an all-star team from the Northern League, so a professional league. Um, <laughs> they faced in their first game of existence Boston Red Sox pitcher Oil Can Boyd. <laughs> he is a character. That's uh, when he that's pitched funny. in the '86 World Series. Yeah, he he's he. I mean, he tried to have he tried to do a comeback like ten years ago or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's just in, be, just ten years ago, he's got to be like was yeah. He, he was 50? like fifty. I remember seeing it in my grandparents' kitchen, like in the newspaper. It was it was it was like two thousand five, two thousand six ish, maybe. Um, so I'm guessing the Northern League was probably single A ball, so that was quite a drop yeah. off from pitching in in the World Series. He, uh, so $20,000 in 2020, $20,000 in 1993 is worth $36,219, uh, by inflation today. Okay. So that's more, I mean, that's significantly more than minor league baseball players make (laughs) in a season. Right. Yeah, no, like I said, this, there was a lot of excitement behind this team with oil can Boyd on the mound. The silver bullets, unfortunately lost 19 to nothing and only had two hits and struck out 16 times. Ooh, that's rough. But that's the very first game of their existence, huh? Right. And uh, yeah, very first game. So after that, Manager Necro uh, called off all games with professional teams to focus on, as I mentioned early, like, earlier, like semi-pro teams and college teams in their first year. Um, the Bullets' first season, continuing on their first season, was rough. They finished their season with a record of six and thirty-seven. Uh, the team's batting average was only one forty-one, and they scored eighty-three runs. Yikes! Yeah, it was tough. A tough go to start, but things definitely improved. In ninety-five, the next season, they won eleven games. Still, not many games. But in ninety-six, they ended up winning eighteen games. And they reached a team record with three home runs that season. How many games did they play that season? Like forty-ish. They played. They as I, I think I mentioned earlier, they play about. They played about sixty games a year. Then in nineteen ninety-seven, they actually had their own um, home field in uh, Albany, New York. Oh, very so they, far from Colorado. <laughs> yeah. Were they called this? Were they called the Colorado Silver Bullets at that point, or just the Silver yep, Bullets? Still the Colorado Silver Bullets um, of, Al- of Albany, New York. Yeah, like like you mentioned earlier, the Anaheim deal. Yeah, so that that was actually a huge year for them in '97. Um, they finished with uh, a 500 over 500 record uh, of 23 and 22. There were on the Silver Bullets. There was only two players who had actual experience playing men's baseball or boys baseball little league or whatever you want to call it um one of them was pitcher gina uh, sartiano um her father was a major league baseball player tom satriano and um they sued little league in california to allow gina to play oh wow so she's like an early pioneer kind of Definitely uh, already a baseball. Yeah, and I think baseball. your dad played for the Red Sox, hmm. as as I saw my research. Um, yeah, so that was that was big. Um, Kim Kim Bratz, B R A A T Z, if I'm saying that correctly, is responsible for the Bullets' first home run. Wow. Yep. Uh, Tammy Holmes and Bratz was quite the hitter. Um, Tammy Holmes was a four-time All-American as a basketball player 
and volleyball player at the University of California, Berkeley. And then she would be soon become the first woman to hit two home runs in a season. Did they say, did they say what's what, like how far the home runs went or like what field they were hitting them at? They were playing on, so they, most of their games were um, on the road, as I mentioned. So they were playing in regular um, regulation size stadiums as far as I know. Yeah, wow. I mean, I've I've never hit a home run <laughs> in a rig, in a game out of a out of like a, a baseball field that had three hundred, probably three hundred to the to to left and right. So right, uh, better than me. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like like I said, I watched some highlights of the, this team, and they were they were really good. Um, another great player on their team was pitcher Leanne Ketchum. And her and Julie Cruteau were the first females to sign with uh, Class A and Double A teams in a winter league baseball, winter baseball league in Hawaii. So a lot of good things came from this team. Pam Davis was the first woman to actually pitch on a men's affiliated Double A team, pitching five innings and striking out one batter. That's pretty good. Yeah, five, five innings is is a good outing. Right. So a lot of positivity came out of this experiment. Um, during the Bullets tenure, the team was recognized by Congress for their contribution to women's sports. Um, doc, Dr. Donna Lopiano, president of Women's Sports Feder, Feder, or Foundation, I should say, um, who was also a Little League All-Star pitcher, noted, it's important not only for women to see women play baseball against men, but it's also important for men to see both women and men competing as equals on the, on the sports field. Um, so the team received a ton of positive feedback and, you know, a lot of cool things happen through this team. Um, unfortunately, there was some negatives too that um, began mostly in 1996 in a game um, in 96, the silver bullets were playing a team called the, uh, America's Travelers, they were an all-male team. Um, one of my sources the, the, one of my sources says they were a team of teenage boys from Georgia. The other didn't mention that, so I'm not quite sure which one to go on with that. But regardless, they were an all-male team. A, a, a brawl actually erupted against this team. What? Yeah, a Travelers pitcher was yelling slurs. And... and uh, Batter Kim Bratz, as I had mentioned earlier, charged the mound. Well, that would have been interesting she, to see. She was I hit, mean, obviously. It's, it's the, pretty the shameful, pitcher, but... <laughs> the pitcher threw at her. So, um, yeah, so uh, it sounded just not like a good scene at all. Yeah. Um, so after that incident, uh, there was a, a media frenzy about, you know, what, what had happened. And then, unfortunately, the next year, the Bullets had a tough time scheduling games, and none of their games were televised. Um, Coors eventually pulled its sponsorship of the team, um, you know, and through the years, Coors had invested $8 million in the team in just four years. And then the Silver Bullets ended up folding in 1998. I mean, um, what's that, five years? That's pretty good. I mean, they had a four-year run. Four they had years. a four-year run. And eight million dollars in from Coors is like I said that that kind of feels like it was before its time. Yeah, no, they did a really good job, and everyone was really invested. And 
and having these women do really well. Um, they played hard, as I, I mentioned, in some of the games I watched highlights of. They they did a really great job. Um, so some things that came out of the Silver Bullets um, experiment, um, it helped uptick the team helped uptick youth girls' participation in the sports in the nine in the nineteen nineties. So uh, as I a lot more young girls had confidence, you know, mm-hmm. seeing these games on TV and like, oh, I want to do that. And they started playing more sports in the 90s. So that's great. Yeah. Um, they show the, the team. This was really cool. Um, when Phil Necro was um, inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame, um, his induction ceremony, the team showed up and um, supported their former manager. Oh, nice. That's amazing. It, yeah, so he was very well respected guy, and um, the, the women on the team loved him. So, um, so yeah, some other interesting tidbits about this team. They played a game, as you talked about earlier in the episode. They played a game against the Hollywood Star Sox. Um, the game took place in Rancho Cucamonga, California. Um, a lot of the guys I had no idea who they were to be honest um, I only knew of the two I knew the pitcher or when I when I looked him up on IMDB I knew who the, the starting pitcher was and then I knew uh obviously that the shortstop and second baseman but I won't I won't ruin that for you since they are they're the only two that anybody's ever heard of I think yeah I recognized I had no idea what the pitcher's name was in like real life but I recognized them from like being a doctor or something on one of those like Grey's Anatomy shows or something like that Mm-hmm. Um, so the two guys I actually recognized, well, of course, Kevin Costner, everyone knows him. Crash Davis, Bull Durham. Yep. Plays that uh, old pitcher on that movie. When For Love of the Game. I love that movie, by the way. <laughs> yeah. That's underrated. I haven't seen that movie in years. I couldn't think of the name, but. Underrated was, baseball movie. Yeah, he was a Tigers pitcher, right? Yeah, Tigers pitcher uh, Vin Scully was the commentator. He had like an epic line that I love from that. From that's not real. I mean, obviously, it didn't happen in real life because it's a fictional movie. But yeah, because uh, he, he threw the perfect game in uh, Yankee Stadium. So he said the cathedral or the the cathedral that is Yankee Stadium belongs to a chapel. That's like one of my favorite fictional sports lines. Yeah. Now there's some great baseball movies and uh, also John C. Riley. I just sorry to get off on a tangent. Yeah. John, John C. Riley is a catcher before he before he did his like <laughs> became like a comic comedic actor. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. The movie's coming back to me. Um the other actor I rec- named that I recognized was Jonathan Silverman. Um he was the captain of the team. Um I just remember I I can't off the top of my head, I can't think of anything I remember no. that he was in but i do remember like the face you know and the name wait was he the uh that would have been too young i was gonna say is he the kid in free willy <laughs> i don't think so man i don't think that's even let's close. see that was the yeah. kid then free yeah. around the same time yeah free will let's see yeah it was not that is not jesse not from close. free willy <laughs> uh but the guy i remember the guy i recognize uh the second baseman was mark Harmon, who who for our era, is people know as Gibbs from NCIS. Okay. Uh, but he was in something, he was in something, uh, like he was very famous for being in something back in like the 70s or 80s. I think that a lot of people in the older generation would know him from. He also was a quarterback, I think, at Michigan. I mean, all these guys played somewhere. 
I think he played. I think he played college football before he was an actor. Mark Harmon. Yeah, like I, I didn't watch the whole game, but I watched bits and pieces. And like on the Hollywood Stars team, everyone played at least high school baseball. Mark Harmon was a uh, went to Pierce College. Shout out to my friend Kieran Doherty, who also went to Pierce Junior College. Nice. <laughs> uh, then he went to UCLA. He went to UCLA and he was a starting quarterback for the Bruins. Oh, okay. And he was in Chicago Hope. He was oh. in St. Elsewhere. I thought there was a movie or something. They all played like, doctors on every show in the 80s and 90s. Yeah, he was he was he was base he was probably second place in terms of famous in terms of fame to Kevin Costner on that team. Yeah. Uh, oh, Harmon more so Harmon than Silverman? I think so. Yeah, Mark Harmon's very famous. Oh, yeah. Cool. Missed missed him. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm going to have to do some research on him anyways. Um yeah, they ended up they that game was that really competitive and the um Silver Bullets lost 13 to 9, but it was really good game. Yeah. Um, and that was televised and as I said many going into the, the amount of games that they were on cable quite often as dozens of their games were televised. Um over a million fans were able to see them play. Um, they often had really large crowds playing in some legendary parks like Fenway Park, Coors Field, and the old Candlestick Park in San Francisco. That's pretty cool. They played at Fenway. I wonder who they played. I mean, it'd be interesting. Yeah, to know. I didn't see that. Um, but yeah, like they they didn't really, um, as I mentioned, they played more college teams and semi pro teams after that first you know, game with the oil can Boyd on the mound. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, they had a great run. And, you know, I think it helped lay the landscape of what we're seeing today in women's sports, much more participation. Um, the WNBA um, has been very successful. And even like women's hockey, there's a women's hockey league now. Yeah, it's and, growing too. Right. So, um, yeah, so pretty cool team to research. And yeah. That's the Colorado Silver Bullets. Um, also, go into my sources really quick here. Um, they were uh, funwhileitlasted.net, encyclopedia, encyclopedia.com, uh, then a, a, a book, The Colorado Silver Bullets for the Love of the Game, Women Who Go Toe to Toe with Men by Dave Kindred, the Encycl- and then uh, The Encyclopedia of Women and Sports by Victoria Shiro. Got it. Yeah, that makes uh that's an interesting team. And if anybody's interested in watching that full the entire game against the Star Sox, it's on YouTube. Just Google Colorado Silver Bullets Star Sox and it'll pop right up. Right. Yeah. I mean they have some other games too on YouTube. Um so yeah. It was fun, fun team to research. Yeah. And hopefully, I mean, Andrew and I are still trying to figure this out, but we're hoping to try to get some interviews in the future with some, some players from these teams. Uh, obviously not the ones from the twenties, but like maybe the, maybe the silver bullets or maybe we can track down Ludley. Yeah. Maybe we track down Ludley's grandfather or something like that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it was a good team. Interesting. I, 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 definitely curious to learn more and then hopefully we can try to find somebody, anybody listening. If you, uh, if you know a former member of the uh, Colorado Silver Bullets, hit us up on Twitter and we'd love to uh, schedule an interview with them. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, so, yeah, I think that'll do it. Uh, Andrew, anything you got uh, going on? So you want to tell them your Twitter as, as is tradition? 
Yep. Uh, my Twitter handle is at A-W-L-E-E-N-N, A-W-L-E-N. Awesome. You can find me at Delhi Tweets on Twitter. That's D-E-L-L-I-T-W-E-E-T-S. Please DM us any suggestions, any teams you want us to cover. Listen to us. Tell your friends. If you want to write a review or rate us five stars on any of your podcast apps, that would be extremely helpful. Uh, but just word of mouth is important. I mean, telling people that about the podcast and uh, I mean, that's the best way that we can grow and we would love to get to more listeners. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned for the next episode and uh, happy 2021. Happy new year.